giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen. And I'm your other host, Chad Pytel. And we're back again this month talking with Alistair from Metrics about marketing. Alistair, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Good to be on again, Chad. And thanks also, Lindsay. So marketing is a big area. We've, I think we've started every <laughs> episode in this uh, series saying that, you know, taking a step back in all those different areas, when it came to founding Takeometrics and getting started, how did you approach marketing? Well, to be honest, the day one marketing was really interesting. I mean, I, I, I literally built the marketing website and came up with the branding on a bus back from New York City to Boston, I just came up with the idea and, and built a really simple landing page and ran some Google AdWords, you know, when the company was basically not even formed. And what was so exciting was that first lead that we got from the keyword at that time was Amazon repricing software. And I, I know this sounds almost unbelievable, but the first ever lead that came in is still a customer. <laughs> I'm, I'm not not even talking about a lead that didn't convert. Literally, the first ever lead became a customer and still is a customer today, years and years later. You know, the focus has always been to think about customers, specifically Amazon sellers and now Walmart sellers. And we've always tried to put ourselves in a place where we're providing help. And these are customers that are Googling and so on. Um, but that's how marketing started day one. Um, it was me putting out Google AdWords. Does that remain an important channel for you? The thing that we found the most successful and the thing that I think creates the best value is just this idea that we're in the world helping people and our customers are a very unique type of customer. You know, when you think about Amazon's customer as the consumer, you know, Jeff Bezos is focused on the lowest prices, maximum selection, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Amazon's customer is not not the sellers, not the third-party sellers, despite the fact that they're providing 60% of the overall sales on Amazon. So we've always put ourselves in the shoes of the customer. And the thing that's been most effective along those lines has been to provide content and education. Amazon and Walmart and Facebook and Google and all the other platforms in the future are just really complicated and it's a combination of not having the right tools, but not having the right playbook. So the best marketing for us has always been to put out content, whether that be eBooks, webinars, live events. And that's just been one thing that's been ringing true all the way from day one. Well, shortly after doing that first AdWords campaign, I would say. What other content were you creating in those like super early days? Yeah, we did something that felt really quite revolutionary at the time. None of our competitors were doing it. We did an ebook and we called it the FBA, which is Fulfillment by Amazon Seller's Bible. And we put that in a PDF form and ran ads on the Amazon Seller Central portal, which you can no longer advertise uh, in, by the way. But that was sort of the login page, which every Amazon seller visits. And um, we had this just asset there. And, you know, we wrote it up and we provided sort of a guide and that got thousands and thousands of leads at very low cost. And it was fun to do because it was really what we believed. We feel like we've always had proprietary knowledge that we can provide and help others with. So, you know, why not create a document and put it in there? 
that was one of the big ones. At the time, everyone was sort of doing more bottom of the funnel stuff, like click here to sign up or go to this form to do a demo. And we just said, we're going to put all of the traffic that we're buying into this ebook. And that was a really successful asset in the early days of our marketing team. I really like that. It touches on something that we haven't really hit upon with any of the other discussions, which is something that has worked really well for ThoughtBot too, is to try lots of different channels or be be early on with channels. And we've had luck over the years of finding ones where there are an opportunity that exists at that point in time, and it turns out to be really effective and it will eventually go away or change or no longer be effective. And then you drop it or you lose it. Right. Like the big one for us was Twitter. We were very early on with Twitter ads. We were in the beta of it. And there's certain aspects of that in terms of like being recommended to follow and that kind of thing, which some of them don't even exist anymore. But because we were so early on with them, we were able to be put in front of the right audience and get a lot of very relevant followers out of it. So we have a lot of followers on our Twitter account because of that. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, it's certainly the challenge to keep that machine running. And I think what's so fascinating is the whole sort of development of growth hacking and, you know, scaling marketing and how do you test and iterate on those channels and new invent new ones. So like many of these episodes, I'm not I'm not here to profess that we have the solution or even a amazing marketing machine, but but we're definitely trying to think through testing and iteration because I think that's that's the most common thing. You're absolutely right. They have a life cycle typically. And of course, competition follows or the network changes, et cetera. You mentioned you created the first website and brand yourself on the bus back from New York City. Are you still using that brand, the logo you created then today? No, we, it was there was no logo. Hmm. The text was similar to what we're using today. The name is obviously stuck, take a metrics. But there hasn't been a tremendous change. I remember... I mean, I mean, when I say marketing team, it was me. Um, so I remember doing a few other things. We did an animation that I've dug up before, which is kind of comical looking at it. And, you know, one of those sort of animated uh, drawings uh, explaining what we do. Oh, yeah. um, that was one that, that I was uh, pretty excited to put out there. And um, Did you draw it yourself? I definitely didn't draw it myself, but I <laughs> scripted it. I had uh, my wife's name's Lillian. She was my girlfriend at the time. And then we had a small dog. So that found its way into the story. Lillian has a pet supply store on Amazon and then uses Takeometric software and, and then it optimizes and then it, and then her sort of store grows and grows. So the spirit of it's very similar, no different to today. I'm probably going to look it up afterwards, actually go back to Wayback Machine or whatever it is <laughs> to, to chuckle at that. I mean, it's a good time and we have 150 employees now. And I just did an all hands this morning about stages in the company. And as you move through different stages, it's really difficult, as you know, Chad, and, and I'm sure the audience can relate. And um, I think it is good to look back and reminisce to some extent because you realize how many changes that you've made and just to be confident in continual change and continual improvement is, is so, so important, and whether that be marketing or anything else. It sounds like in the beginning, you had maybe a certain level of confidence in handling the marketing on your own that you can't necessarily take for granted. Is that true, do you think? Or did it seem 
more <laughs> confusing or scary at the time? I think I've I've been very lucky with this business and and just lucky in general to be in the right place at the right time. Because I'd and I'd started two other companies in the past. And I think we covered these in previous episodes, but you know, a fitness website and, and and another company, and that's how I met Thoughtbot. You know, over what about fourteen years ago now. So I think with Takeometrics, this magical thing happened. I mean, I, I I ran those Google ads and I got a customer immediately within an hour, and and that's just really rare. So I wouldn't say I have a level of confidence in myself or a level of confidence in in, in nailing the perfect marketing strategy. But there's just been this rising tide from that first lead, which became a customer, all the way to today. And now, you know, we've just had Amazon Prime Day on uh, last week, and we're looking at the largest Q4 in history coming up. And we just do a lot of things wrong, but because there's so many people wanting to head into e-commerce, you know, it, it's just an opportunity to be in the right place at the right time. And and I think that's when good things happen. We've got that product market fit, or at least you're in the right zip code. So you can be pretty rubbish at marketing like I am and still get good results because you're kind of in a good space. But <laughs> I appreciate that you're being humble, but I, I think also you know, it must be helped by the fact that you are your own customer um, and you certainly were when you were first starting out. And so, you know, so much of marketing is understanding what mm. your customer actually needs and their pain point and everything. And you've, you were able to be in a position where you inherently understood that, right? Yeah, that's a very good point, Chad, and and I I do agree with that. And that's something that is actually something I worry about today as we scale mm -hmm. up. Does the marketing team really get it? You know, when I say marketing team, we have six plus people now. You know, can they replicate that? You know, putting yourself in the shoes of a uh, of a customer. I think it is harder with B two B for that reason. It's less intuitive. You you ultimately have customers that are ahead of our own employees in terms of knowledge. So you bring up a really good point and I, and I acknowledge that for sure. And that's, that's sort of intuitive for me and just, I don't even think anything of it. I mean, I, I really enjoy talking to sellers and customers, whether they're big or small, and that's the excitement that I have. And that does shine through in the marketing. Even if you look at the very focus of who we are, why I named the company after a, a Japanese word, um, that came because I visited Japan a couple of times and was so interested and intrigued about how disciplined and data-driven people are out there. And I was always thinking to myself, well, why couldn't I have done that myself? Why am I so sloppy with some of the metrics and some of the data and, and the tools that we have and, and wanted to sort of empower other people with that kind of clinical, disciplined approach to scaling on Amazon and, and other channels. So I think there is a lot of personal story for me. Uh, the, the real challenge, though, is do we have what it takes to scale that up? And it's not about me anymore. It's about our customers and, and the market opportunity. Am I right that you did something, and I don't know if you still do it, to try to stay close to customers in the product, and that was to have your team members run small shops or merchant accounts that's a good point we've we're doing more and more of that um, we need to do more we've invested in some of our employees as businesses 
So we have uh, someone on the sales teams made it infla- inflatable furniture, which is pretty cool. And we've onboarded more and more people that have got that DNA. It's difficult. Um, you know, I've, I've looked at companies like HubSpot and Constant Contacts. And there's a company in New York called Yotpo that I was really impressed with. You know, they're very successful. And in each of those companies are more successful than us, at least today. And they have really good DNA. I, I think in constant contacts, early days, you know, one of your onboardings as any type of employee was to create an email and send it out and feel like what it is like to be a customer similar with HubSpot, you know, get, get involved and get in the weeds. The hard part about growing an e-commerce business, it is so complicated. So it's hard to get everyone actually selling on Amazon. So we haven't figured that out yet, but I really think that that's something that I should be doing more of. And we've toyed with these sort of ideas of a course or maybe even like a university for new employees who are coming in to just get them immersed in that problem space. Before you had your own marketing team, did you work with any uh, contractors or consultants to help with some of that work? So we've outsourced Google AdWords a couple of times. And yeah, that's a beast to manage. That is a beast. That is a beast. And that's been important as we've needed to stay focused. The other thing we've outsourced is PR. I felt like I did make a mistake at one era of growth where we hired a pretty expensive PR company, really not their fault. You know, they didn't do anything wrong or misrepresent their services or anything like that. But it was just a bit hard to understand you know, the ROI and also the strategy, and they just weren't immersed in our day-to-day and that felt difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we brought more and more in-house over time. And this is, of course, the classic challenge of of scaling. You know, you need to find people that are passionate about what you you do and build a core culture around that. And, uh, you know, we've, we've certainly got some great people now, so that's helped. Outsourcing is always difficult. It just, you know, it's a classic problem of uh, incentives. And, you know, if someone's on the outside, you know, what incentives do they have to uh, do a great job in the same way as maybe a shareholder would if they're inside the company? Um, and by the way, that's something I've always been very impressed with ThoughtBot. I mean, you have an uncanny ability to actually leverage all the advantages of, of uh, being an external team. So I don't think it goes across the um, spectrum of, of just saying, look, outsourcing's bad. Put it this way, I've, I haven't met anyone in marketing like a ThoughtBot. Um, if I did, that would have probably been a good thing at some point to have found, found that. We do actually get the request now and again, like, do you know the ThoughtBot of marketing? <laughs> oh, really? Not surprised. So look out for that business. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, just to relate back to stuff Chad said and even what we're doing literally right now, in real time is just content and education and giving back to the community and being confident in that. And I've always been incredibly impressed with ThoughtBot from that side. And you're trying to do something pretty similar in, in, in my eyes, which is develop passion in a space and give back. And um, when you do that and you, and you build a reputation and you can execute, good things start to happen. So kudos to you. We sort of aspire to do something similar in the Amazon space and, you know, your reputation precedes itself. It's incredible what you've done. I think all areas lend themselves to reputation content marketing, but I think the ones that really do seem to be the ones where 
there is a barrier to entry. It is complicated. It is technical and like e-commerce and running a store and everything. I don't mean the development behind it, but just like the numbers, the components of it being successful. There's a lot there in which to provide meaningful content and it works well for SEO and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure of how much stuff that you've done recently, Chad, but I, I do know, you know, you Google your name and, you know, books right. come up and whatnot. And, and just it's, I've thought to myself, like, you know, should we be doing more of that? And I think the answer is yes. I think it's difficult. Most, it, was, it's, it takes a long time too. I think most people are looking for measurable ROI in digital marketing and you know that's why adwords is so effective or you know facebook advertising or whatever ever it might be but to build true long term value and reputation some of those deeper content avenues i mean the piece that's interesting most recently is the influencer type concept i'm not a particularly well i can just be very honest i don't have a high profile social presence on instagram twitter the biggest exposure i have is on linkedin so the things that I've seen some of our competitors do have been you know, interesting to me. You know, when I started selling on Amazon, of course, there was no social components and there was no social media really. And then you look at some of our competitors, if you just go into YouTube and, and type, you know, selling on Amazon, how, how to build a successful business, there's tens of thousands of people who've built very successful companies around education. You know, maybe we could have done a better job at the right time. I felt like if I'd spent all my time doing that, would I have been focused on self-promoting more of content versus the software? So I think it's conflicted with the really important desire for me to build a software company. Anyway, I think we could have done a better job and we should do a better job. And you'll see us putting more stuff out, out there. I mean, I actually featured myself. Well, when I say featured myself, I, I attended one of our webinars last week, which I felt really good about. I, th I suppose it's my job to do that, you know, get back in and give back and use that to help improve our brand. I think you're right. It is a balance between, you know, working on your actual product and your actual business and, and then spending time generating content. Because I think we always feel like we're not doing enough or mm. could be doing more too. So oh, yeah. I almost wonder if everyone always feels that way. Well, what about you mentioned Twitter? And you guys got early on there. What about some of these new mediums like Instagram? I haven't looked up the uh, ThoughtBot Instagram account or, or I'm not aware of you have one or, or work on it. Do you feel like, you know, there's a wave that's coming or you're riding or have you missed that? How do you feel about that? We have an account. It is not very updated at all. Mm. I would say the feeling is behind. Mm. And as far as our business is concerned, I think there's a, a subset of the business that it could be valuable for, which is, I think, more on the design side, mm. like design agencies and individual designers showcasing like beautiful work mm -hmm. is an interesting aspect. For us, it's just been it's just not made it kind of to the top of the priority list. And now everyone's moving to TikTok, so we missed it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. What about, um, I mean, hopefully it's okay to talk about this and just open yeah. it because I think it's good for the audience. What about YouTube? I know that you've done a lot of education and you have a studio over there at ThoughtBot. There's been an explosion, in, of course, over the last 10 years with YouTube channels and, and such like. 
what's Thoughtbot's opinion on on that? Because I think it relates a lot to your content, which you've been so good at. Yeah, I can give you my take. So I've been with the company just under three years now. It's been a great channel. So we've got a significant amount of followers and it has been a useful channel for us sharing talks that the team has done as well as tutorials. Some of the interesting aspects of YouTube is they very much own their audience and it is designed for them to own the audience. So you can't get people off YouTube. Um, mm. So pointing them to thoughtbot.com, for example, is very difficult. So kind of having to acknowledge what it is and what value it provides, which is kind of awareness and, and thought leadership, but it's never going to be like a lead channel or anything like that. And I would say our investment in it over the years has gone up and uh, up and down. But yeah, that is probably of the social media channels, that's one of the big ones for us. With video in particular, we early on were at a fork in the road and we intentionally decided to put our video content. It's a lot of effort and we were doing a lot of it. We were already doing in-person workshops. And so when we moved a lot of that online, we put the video and the online training behind a paywall. And then that translated to our overall video strategy. We had a weekly video show behind mm -hmm. that paywall and that kind of thing. And that worked for generating revenue, but there did become a point in time where we started to question whether there would be a bigger marketing benefit to making more of that just publicly available. And ultimately we dropped the paywall. I don't think we necessarily regret what we did because it generated pretty good revenue but it was an intentional decision that we made early on. Yeah, no, that's a really big one. I mean, we've thought about similar things, you know, charging for courses or how does that concept evolve into a funnel? And the point that, Lindsay, you were making on YouTube is fascinating. It's actually not dissimilar to, you know, Amazon or these other walled gardens where the data and the customers or the viewers live in the walled garden and it's hard to get off it. And you've got to really think about your strategy there. We're starting to do a lot, lot more of this and it's been good. I mean, the, the one weird thing as we look at all these new mediums, webinars still seem to be successful. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with webinars, but they don't seem very logical to me in the sense that they're time bound to a specific time. And, you know, everything that you think about sort of modern businesses and the way that people live these days is around on demand. So to say tune in at one o'clock on a certain day just seems counterintuitive. However, they continue to do really well. Of course, they've been tweaked and enhanced recently with, you know, them being more like Zoom meetings. I mean, I guess it relates to just the desire to listen to other humans who know what they're talking about. And there's a, just a demand for, for education in our space. So if you put out a webinar that says, like the one we did on Friday, this past Friday said, you know, what we found out in data from Prime Day, you know, that was really successful and people just want to know. And putting a date on it and a time is, is still good. Curious, do you, what about podcasts? I mean, we're talking about all these things that we felt I feel like we've missed eras that we've missed, whether that's like, you know, Instagram era, you know, what about podcasts? I mean, obviously we're on one now, which is pretty awesome. 
how long is Thorpe? I probably should know this considering I'm part of this podcast, but sort of curious, how how has that strategy unfolded and what's the overhead cost like and how do you track it? What technology are you using? First, I have to comment on the webinar thing because I was just, I'm like grinning ear to ear as you're talking about it because we're we're experiencing the exact same thing, especially since we've really doubled down on it since quarantine because we're doing a lot of like in-person live events and in-person community activities and then very quickly had to say, okay, what does this look like in a totally virtual world? And webinars are something that I've been doing for, you know, probably over 10 years. And it does like, you know, I have to ask myself, is this still like a modern, useful thing? But Mm. people do still really love them and they work. Yeah. Well, I suppose if you just take out the technology or how it's delivered, it's just the relevancy at that particular time and and putting a time on it. I mean, it's like the news almost. I mean, uh, of course, you got to get the content right. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. And I'm happy that we've exchanged notes and we're on the same page. (laughs) This episode of Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots is supported by Teamistry, a podcast that tells the stories of teams who work together in new and unexpected ways to achieve remarkable things. Each episode of Teamistry tells a story. And in every story, you'll find practical lessons for your team and your business. This season, the show travels deep into the underwater caves of northern Thailand to discover how divers, medics, soldiers, and volunteers freed a group of trapped teenagers. Explains how a world-renowned watch company pitted their two factories against each other in an attempt to become the best watchmaker in the world. And finds out how Iceland went from having one of the highest COVID-19 death rates in Scandinavia to a model example of how to deal with the virus. These are stories that entertain, packed with business cases you can actually use. I got a sneak peek of season two of Teamistry, and I love the high production values and the engaging narration from host and award-winning documentary filmmaker Gabriella Copperthwaite, the director of Blackfish. Search for Teamistry anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we'll also include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Teamistry for their support. So podcasts are a lot more difficult to track, I would say. I actually gave a talk for Boston Startup around podcasting and whether or not folks should do it. And I think my main message is that if you're really looking to kind of create brand affinity, so you've got an audience and you want more of their mindshare, you want more of their love even, it's a great way to make a very personal, ongoing connection. You know, in a time when competition for our audience's attention is so intense and people's attention spans are much shorter, the fact that, you know, they will tune in week over week for 45 minutes is an incredible return. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely more in the kind of brand bucket than lead generation bucket, which in essence makes it, you know, harder to attach an ROI number to. That makes sense. We definitely do like have clients who say they're fans of the podcasts and to whatever extent we can kind of track that we do. I would say actually one of the most concrete things we've been able to see is from 
not Giant Robots podcast, but The Bike Shed, which is a development podcast, uh, and Tentative, which is our design podcast, we've had candidates who became ThoughtBotters who were avid fans of those shows. Mm. So it's like deep brand. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so valuable. It takes us so long and we are, you know, so selective about who joins the team. I mean, you hire senior engineers, you know how difficult the market is. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Well, that's, that's awesome. And and what about execution? Do you think the cost to produce a, a well-produced podcast, it seems like the central component of a podcast is, of course, the talent and and hopefully i'm doing a reasonable job of that today but sort of (laughs) i thought to myself well it'd be really good for us to do this regarding our customers and our brands i mean what do you think if for taking metrics and we're in a space where you know we are privileged to have build and and create great relationships with incredible brands who've been successful on amazon and, and others it feels like the right format to be able to have a weekly podcast or a monthly podcast, perhaps more reasonably, mm-hmm. to then invite successful customers on. Or do you think that there has to be a, a different angle? Um, I'm curious, actually, your thoughts, and maybe others in the audience who are starting their own businesses would be curious, and maybe people are thinking about starting a podcast. In the Techometrics use case, do you think that fits the, the notion of listening to customers and sharing? I think it definitely sounds like a strong proposition. I would recommend you kind of follow what you do with the product, which is get it the concept in front of your target audience and see what they think. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't even have to be like a demo episode. It could just be like asking them, you know, do you listen to podcasts? Is this something you'd be interested in? What specifically would you want to get out of it? And then you'd kind of surface some ideas. But it sounds like Takeometrics definitely has something valuable to say. You know, you're creating a lot of original content. You've got a really unique perspective. So those are all the elements. In addition to, as you pointed out, the talent is really important. I think the most successful podcasts, people feel like the hosts are their friends that they're kind of checking in with and they've got their inside jokes with and um, mm. they want to learn from. But yeah, I think a lot of the elements are there. And then the next step is go talk to people and, and see what they think, see if they, they'd be interested. Mm, that's great advice. Thank you very much. The one I listen to quite often is the Sasta podcast. And I think mm-hmm. it's so difficult starting a business and it's so difficult scaling a SaaS company. So hearing incredible companies and people speak openly about their challenges and and the format is pretty consistent and you you can get some really good stuff out of it. So I I found that one particularly exciting and interesting and relevant, even though it varies from industry to industry, but in the consistency of of SaaS and scaling SaaS businesses. Well, Mm -hmm. thanks for that. That's a great help for me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm loving that you're flipping the, the table on us a little bit today. This is fun. Chad, what do you think the value of having the ThoughtBot podcasts has been over the years? When it comes to the blog or podcast or video, you know, so much of what ThoughtBot does is driven by the passion and interest of the individual team members. So like the podcast didn't get started because we were like, oh, it would be a good marketing thing to have podcasts. They got started because like an individual person at ThoughtBot said, I want to do a podcast. And we were like, great. And I think (laughs) 
that, that is <laughs> an important part of just the way that we do things or just in general, the success is like harnessing the excitement that people have for something. Even maybe if it's not like the most effective, 100% awesome marketing channel, it's probably going to be better than forcing people to do what they don't want to do. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so that's why we have podcasts. Um, and then it's sort of trying to take the thing that people are excited about and making it as effective as possible from a marketing angle. So that's how we've approached it and probably approached a lot of what we've done. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is a very relevant topic that we're talking about marketing because, you know, we're releasing a new piece of software. Our core SaaS platform is called Flywheel. And uh, this quarter, we're releasing Flywheel 2.0. And it's a really interesting strategy that we're executing right now, which is to build an early interest list. Uh, the reason we want to do that is we want to build a level of excitement for our customers. We also want to explain what the differences are in the products. We want to have a series of pieces of content to the people that have applied to early access and early interest and, and then use that as a go-to-market strategy to actually bring people on and live on the product. And we're using our customers to do that. I was inspired, actually, I don't know if you or the audience will know a company called Superhuman. They're a, an email client and they have a pretty bold claim that they're you know the world's best email tool better than gmail etc whether that's true or not they have 250,000 people plus on their wait list they've had a wait list for years or at least i'm i think it's years or it feels like years and it's sort of this pretty incredible concept of creating a bit of demand and using a clever go-to-market strategy to get people you know signed up and early interested in a new product so that's what we've been doing most recently it's been going really well it's cool to have something like that in the company it feels a little bit like what i imagine a pure product company would have you know for example apple with the iphone 12 you know there's an event there's suspense there's excitement there's the features and etc cetera, etc cetera. And ultimately, you're iterating on the same exact product as iPhone 11, but with some new opportunity. So we've really pushed on that. And it's interesting as a SaaS company to do that because, you know, you don't see it all the time. You know, maybe certain SaaS companies are on continuous release cycles. We found that being you know, really successful for us in the past, and it seems to be working quite well right now. So I just thought I'd share that uh, since it's yeah. so relevant to us. So I'm a actual user of Superhuman. Are you? Um, I've used it a bit. I got mm -hmm. really into it apart from the fact that Gmail started to do such good predictive mm -hmm. writing. And then I communicated back to Superhuman and said, hey, you guys going to roll this out? And you know, I just couldn't give up the Google yeah. predictive algorithm. Yeah. Did you do the onboarding session with them? I did. I did. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. For me, from a marketing perspective and from a growth perspective in particular, that was super interesting because I don't know if they did it for you, but it's an onboarding session where they're giving a tour of the product. They're getting me on board. They're getting the apps installed. They're showing me how to use it the way that it's intended. And then at the end of the process, you know, it's an email program for your, for your Mac or for iOS the person doing the onboarding with me said, I want to, I'm going to ask you a favor now, Chad, I want you to take superhuman and drag it into your doc 
and I want you to take, he knew I was using Apple Mail, take Apple Mail and drag it out of your dock. <laughs> really? Wow. And it's, I mean, very ag- aggressive and that kind of thing, but it's clear, like, they had identified that if they could get people to do that, probably they would be set on at least giving the product a fair, full mm-hmm. shot by the time they got off the call. And so I did it because I was pressured socially to do it. But I do think that it then had a impact on whether I kept on using the product or not, yeah. because it was, you know, I had made the commitment to switch. Yeah, no, that's an interesting story. I had a similar experience. I wasn't, I didn't manipulate my desktop um, <laughs> in that particular way, but there was a similar buzz and excitement. Obviously, you know, they have to back it up with, you know, a, a superior product. Otherwise, it, it can sort of feel like a house of cards. But right. I think it's so important for our customers, right? Because our customers are brands, they're sellers, they're trying to look for an edge in the market. They're really trying to figure out what is the next catalyst to growth. And, you know, we didn't want to do a typical SaaS release cycle of just shipping iteratively on the existing products and and not have the opportunity to say, hey, we're actually transforming from Flywheel 1 to Flywheel 2. Flywheel 2 is a holistic platform that does inventory optimization, market intelligence, preferred financing, and you put all these things together and it's a huge step function it's pretty old school. It almost feels like sort of Windows 95 release or something, you know, all these new bells and whistles. So I did quite a bit of studying on this myself. I got some inspiration from Superhuman, as we've talked about. Also looking at the iOS releases, um, not necessarily the phone stuff and hardware, although that's also inspiring, but the beta releases or the early access programs around Apple's new operating systems and sort of reading a little bit about that. Um, also Android is another one and just sort of these really exciting areas uh, another one was Salesforce with the lightning release I mean that felt like it went on for years mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway the studying so I've sort of borrowed some of these almost consumer-like strategies and are trying to apply it to a b2b mindset um, well we'll see how it works I mean this is in progress right now and by the way, if there is anyone selling on Amazon or, or Walmart, feel free to visit Techometrics and sign up for Flywheel 2.0 and you can see it in practice. I do think there is something interesting there. There's, you know, Basecamp is another company where instead of, you know, they have a SaaS product and they do iterate on it and change it. But at a certain point in time, they draw a line in the sand and they start advertising the next version. And it is a completely different version, you know, Basecamp 1 yes. to Basecamp 2 to Basecamp 3. Yes, and they yes. really leverage that from a marketing perspective and they get people excited about it and they, they get new people to move over. And they also do it so that, you know, people who are uncomfortable moving to a new version, they can stay on the old version. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to create a North Star within the company to, you know, have something to really look at whether you know internal motivation to inspire so every all hands uh, every monday now which has always been there at 10 o'clock every every monday we have you know important topics in front of the whole company and wanting to be very transparent and now we have a slide number of people who've signed up to early access for flywheel 2.0 and it's this sort of drumbeat and rhythm as we start to see these activities all come together you know we acquired a company and announced it last week in, in Tel Aviv, and it was announced, uh, had got some great press. And you could see the spike, because in our press release, we said, this acquisition is 
part of the integration into Flywall 2.0. And then we saw a big lift in the number of people signing up to it. And that's just sort of reinforced the strategy. It's like, we're buying this company to add and improve functionality within Flywheel 2.0. Here's the impact. Here's the, here's the goal. So I think it's also good for sort of getting people really focused um, and inspired within the company as well as externally. There was a lot of worry. What ended up happening on our side was, you know, sales team and marketing team, I think were worried that, okay, you go and put this shiny new object out. Will that cannibalize the appetite for the existing piece? Will we miss our targets? Will we miss our goals? And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, we have balanced very carefully. Um, And it isn't an issue. It can become a selling tool to say, hey, come on now. You can be one of the first people to get early access for Flywheel 2.0. So I'm pretty excited about it. And that's what's going on right now in our team. I think it's a legit concern to pay attention to. I've seen other companies who sort of split it down the middle. They're not necessarily putting out the 2.0 as a pre-sign-up thing that people are signing up for, but they still want the marketing benefit of when you do a major release and the promotion you can get around that. And so what they do is they'll have been shipping new features and you know new functionality to existing customers all on the way in a very iterative way. But then at some point, Maybe with that last new feature that was on the roadmap, they then call that 2.0 and they bundle up everything from a marketing perspective that's been accomplished in like the last year or something like that and say, now this is 2.0 and they'll have actually been shipping iteratively the entire time. And so at least you, then you're getting sort of the, the PR release of that, that release number. Yeah. I mean, I think compared to how difficult it is to build a hardware company or, you know, just reading about crazy stuff where, whether it's Tesla or Nikola, um, I don't know if you all saw that where they, they didn't actually have a truck, but they had a video of it rolling down a hill and said it was powered. And obviously the short sellers and, you know, the founder got ousted and it's just absolutely unbelievable. And, Think about the execution risk on building, you know, hydrogen and electric powered truck. And obviously the spin and the buzz was just overhyped. I mean, I do feel like if you're in a SaaS business and you're using agile technologies and and the cost of delivery is pretty low and you've got a lot of flexibility. So why not tailor the marketing strategy to flexibility? You know, we don't have to have those sort of super rigid ship dates. I think that's that's the key uh, to, to sort of play to your strengths and play to your ability, but but also generate that demand and then have a message that's clear. But yeah, we definitely haven't figured all of this out by any means. I mean, the piece that I'm really interested in now is scaling. You know, we've got a product that's performing well. We've got Flywheel 2 shipping. And I've sort of spent a lot of time reading about there's almost a sort of bifurcation of West Coast versus East Coast. I know that sounds, you know, very Silicon Valley-like, and that whole notion is starting to fall apart because everyone's going uh, remote. But there's more people from those really high-growth SaaS companies that tend to be in Silicon Valley that have that sort of growth hacking playbook where the marketing is almost inside the product, or there's a marketer that the product team owns that sort of market mechanism, whether that's free trial without a credit card that can show value over time. I think that's something that's super important for us at Tokometrics to sort of bridge the gap between 
a B2B SaaS company that has pretty decent product market fit, but a huge market in front of itself, what actually is that shift that's required that you see from these amazing companies, you know, Shopify is an example, or Slack or Zoom, where the product then becomes the marketing? I think we're close to doing that. And that probably breaks the entire concept of, of marketing, doesn't it? Because you've got this sort of product becomes the marketing concept. I think the uh, there's a VC in Boston, um, OpenView Partners, that does a lot around this. And they've sort of coined the term, or at least using the term a lot, PLG, product-led growth. You know, they talk about a PQL, product-qualified lead versus an MQL. And, you know, what are the differences there? And product is going to actually get you further into the funnel and this sort of classic freemium model. That's something that we really need to execute on very well. And uh, we're getting there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the right way to do it. I actually think having a, a blurred line between product and marketing and sales, for that matter, is kind of the healthiest way to, to go about it. I think if things are super siloed, that's more of a concern. Absolutely. I mean, that's really important to get that right. And there has so many organizational changes. So I, I totally agree, Lindsay. And uh, we'll see uh, how we grow into 2021 with that shift. Awesome. Well, we're, we're actually at time, so we should probably wrap up. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing some of your ideas. I've, I've actually learned a bit on my side from hearing about ThoughtBot and uh, you know how your, how your marketing techniques and yeah. um, all the things that I've consumed hearing it from you is, is great. Thanks for sharing. Well, if people do want to check out some of that content you're talking about, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, on our side, visit takeometrics.com and uh, you'll see some links up in our navigation to our blog and where we post events and um, Twitter and our LinkedIn. And of course, the Flywheel 2.0 early access list is accessible for those of, of you that are growing an e-commerce business. And if folks want to follow along with you, it sounds like you're mostly on LinkedIn. Is that what you said? Yes, that's right. LinkedIn for now. But yes. That, and that's... then TikTok. Okay, got it. Yes, <laughs> TikTok. Yes, I'll, I'll get my uh, daughters to uh, coach me on that. <laughs> you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. And me on Twitter at lindsay3d. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.